All right, this is Domain Query, rhetorical kill shots. This is your host, Didact, as always. Um, for all of those who have, uh, who are new here, please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe, either here on Podbean or on the site. For those of you who are my longtime listeners and uh, friends of the site, a very warm welcome, as always. Many thanks for tuning in. Uh, make sure that you click through the links and make sure you are subscribed uh, to the site so you never, ever miss a new upload. And make sure you uh, never miss a new upload for this podcast as well. Um, it's been a long time since I've done a uh, domain query um, podcast. And obviously, I didn't do the the, um, the Didactic Mind regular podcast, um, you know, uh, this weekend, I don't, I mean, basically I was just lazy. Um, I, there's no particularly big reason for it. I just, uh, you know, I got to like 11 PM or 11.30 PM and I'd, I'd been watching a movie. Um, actually I was watching SWAT, you know, the, uh, the old Car- Colin Farrell film and we're just like, eh, you know, could not be asked to stay up for another hour and a half and do the podcast because I just wanted to get some sleep. And I had some stuff to do the next day, so I decided to skip it for one week. Uh, it does actually take a lot of effort to put those podcasts together. It's not just me rambling for an hour. But um, this domain query uh, comes from uh, an email that a reader sent to me. This is from Randall E6. And he's, uh, he's emailed me before, and he uh, had some interesting points to raise. And he asked for specifically this. Uh, could you do a podcast, uh, or perhaps two, one for each form, on verbal and written rhetoric? While there are many books often freely available as PDFs, I got the sneaky suspicion that it will take more than reading them to turn theory into effective, in parentheses, practice. Well, uh, I'm happy to oblige where I can. I'm certainly not an expert at rhetoric, and you'll see why as I unpack the, the um, patterns and uh, the traits of good rhetoric, but I'm happy to provide what insight I can. Um, there are two books that I recommend for those who are interested in this subject. The first is, uh, the original book on rhetoric by Aristotle. Uh, that's literally what it's called, rhetoric. And Aristotle is an interesting character because uh, he and Plato, well, he was a student of Plato's and Plato's was a student of Socrates. Uh, Socrates, being the philosopher that he was, who constantly questioning everything, uh, had a very particular approach to both dialectic and rhetoric. And Plato, it seems, did not particularly like rhetoric. In fact, he hated it and expressed an utter loathing for the emotionally couched language that Socrates would use to kind of pin down some of his uh, students. Now, Plato, of course, as we know, was the proponent of the uber-wise, uber-all-knowing characters who would rule over society, so he turned out to be spectacularly wrong about that. And Aristotle was much more on the side of logic, reason, and um, sort of devolution of power away from wise philosopher kings. Uh, Indeed, almost everything we talk about today in politics really comes down to Plato versus Aristotle. And for the last several decades, it seems, uh, Plato has been winning, unfortunately, to the the great detriment of all of us. But 
With respect to rhetoric, that's the first book you should read. And the second book you should read is, of course, SJWs Always Lie um, uh, by our beloved and dreaded Supreme Dark Lord, peace be unto him, uh, Vox Dei, the most malevolent and terrible. Um, that book contains, uh, you know, SJWs Always Lie, Anticipating the Thought Police. That, that book um, contains a chapter just on rhetoric and explains why rhetoric is so effective uh, as a weapon. The, the key to understanding rhetoric versus dialectic in, really lies in um, understanding the difference between people who think in logical terms and people who think in emotional terms. That's really all it comes down to. Dialectic speakers, like me, like to think in terms of arguments, evidence, and facts. That's how we think. Rhetoric speakers think in terms of emotional language and couching things in terms of emotions. Um, pretty much any liberal you know thinks in those terms. Um, you know, why should we raise tax rates? Uh, that is a that is a normative argument. That is to say, it's not something where you can just say one is factually correct and the other is not. A dialectic speaker would say, "Here's a a long and well articulated and highly well, very well reasoned list of arguments why you should not raise taxes." The rhetoric speaker will always say, "We should raise taxes in order to give to the poor. If you don't give to the poor, that must mean you hate the poor. What are you? How evil and heartless are you?" Guess who wins? It's usually the rhetoric speaker, because the reality is most people think in terms of rhetoric. And that is not to say that rhetorical speakers cannot think dialectically. And that is not to say that dialectical thinkers cannot feel rhetorically or cannot feel the results of a rhetorical uh, barb. Uh, everyone is vulnerable to certain emotions. And there are many trigger words for each of us as individuals and as groups that stop us from reasoning very, very quickly. Um, doesn't matter who you are, you are susceptible to rhetoric or dialectic in either form. Now, the most effective rhetoric is always couched in fact of some kind. That is one of Vox Day's key insights. It's not even his insight, it's actually Aristotle's insight. The most, let me repeat that because it's so important. The most effective rhetoric is couched in dialectic, meaning the most effective rhetoric is the rhetoric that has a core truth behind it. That core truth is a battering ram that knocks down everything in its path. That's what makes it such an effective tactic. That's what makes it so brilliant. Now, that's the first thing to keep in mind. When you're using rhetoric, if you're struggling to come up with a rhetorical device, you need to come up with something, something true about whatever it is you're, you're, you're attempting to convey. Then you can wrap emotional ideas or emotional trigger words around that. I'll give you a very specific example from my own experience, not too long ago actually. I was working on a project um, like a, a month ago where we were trying to come up with a marketing idea, a marketing tagline, a slogan for a proposed product for a class that is a marketing class that I was doing. And it's, um, 
it's it's one of those delivery boxes. You know, the, the, the delivery food and meal delivery boxes have become so popular during the scandemic. So uh, if you're living in the UK, in Pommy Bastard Land, that basically comes down to Deliveroo uh, or uh, what's it called? Um, Home Chef or uh, or Gusto, um, uh, whatever the, the, those, those delivery services are called. And that what they do is they literally deliver a box full of ingredients or even fully cooked meals straight to your door. And it's a subscription service where you pay every month and you get a, a certain amount of stuff every time. So we were trying to come up with a tagline and our, our product idea was basically uh, family-friendly meals delivered in a box, you know, for the whole family that's something that wouldn't take too much cooking that the whole family could eat from granny right down to the three-year-old kid. Um, and the group was kind of struggling to come up with a, a, a snazzy, snappy tagline. They're like, oh, I don't know, what are we trying to convey here? And I literally just said, family values full stop, delivered, full stop. And everybody was like, holy shit, that's exactly what we're looking for. And that, that was just off the cuff. That was off the top of my head. Why did that work? Anybody looking at that tagline would say, okay, I get what you're on about, instantly. Anybody looking at that tagline would be like, I understand what your product is. Why? Because the core of it is true. The core of what we're trying to say is obviously true. That is the first and most important rule of good rhetoric. And it doesn't matter if it's in the written form or the spoken form. The next core truth of rhetoric is that spoken rhetoric and written rhetoric are a bit different in terms of how you deliver it. But brevity is the soul of wit. So if you take anything away from this second point, brevity is key. For this to understand how to use this, you need to look at um, the true past masters of effective rhetoric. Uh, if you go all the way back again to Greek times and you look at Athens and Sparta, these were the two great powers of their time, you know, back in the uh, 5th century BC, basically. They were two completely different systems, two completely different societies, different se setups of government, everything. Um, on the one hand, you had demo dem democracy coming from Sparta um, with its idea of citizen rule and uh, freedom of assembly and freedom of speech. And well, I mean, not compared to what we would consider to be those freedoms today, but back then it was pretty revolutionary. Uh, and then you had Sparta, which was ruled by a system of autocracy, oligarchs, kings, but on 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 balance, a much more republican system of government, not mob rule, but republican rule of very clear checks and balances up and down, um, up and down the, uh, the, the, what's it called? The, the, the governance structure, if you will. And, um, the two also had very different styles of speaking, two very different styles of communicating. Uh, Attic salt, as it was known, uh, was an Athenian rhetorical device, a, a way of speaking that sprinkled witticisms throughout uh, the speech. And there, there were very clever sort of puns and, and, and amusing stories and anecdotes. And they were very flowery in nature. These were not, um, these were not pithy, to-the-point, kind of blunt, bluntly delivered uh, ideas. 
they were very elaborate. Uh, there was a lot of sophistry going on. And was, again, Plato used to rail about the sophists, uh, the, the sophistry of rhetoric. This is one of the reasons why he hated it. But the Lacedaemonians, the, the Spartans, had a very different approach. Uh, we know of it today as laconic wit. And it says something about which one was more effective, that most people know something about laconic wit and most people know nothing about Attic salt. A few great examples of laconic wit. Have you ever seen 300? Of course you have. It's one of the, the, the best manly movies ever made. It's, you know, if you, if you look at it through the wrong lens, it's like eye-poppingly homoerotic. But actually, it's just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant movie. Um, in a lot of ways, based on an equally brilliant graphic novel, based on one of the greatest stories ever told, uh, you know, the, the last stand of the 300 Spartans at uh, Thermopylae. Um, there are several instances throughout that film of actual quotes from uh, attributed to the Spartans of that time. Uh, you know, King Leonidas uh, is... Um, is about Queen Gorgo meets the the Persian emissary coming in, and he's he's quite insulted by the fact that she stands up to him and, and says, you know, talks back to him. He's like, who is this woman who thinks she can talk among men? Because only Spartan women give birth to real men. Bang, perfect rhetoric. Because again, it's couched in truth. That was the reputation of the Spartans, of the ultimate citizen soldiers. Uh, and here's, you know, that you're surrounded by this polis, the city of extremely tough, strong, seasoned, hardened warriors. Um, and the queen just, you know, snaps right back at him. Uh, when Leonidas is, uh, about to leave the city, uh, the, 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 the council of elders asks him, what can we, what should we do? What can we do? What can you do? Sparta will need sons. Bang, right there. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, no, what's his name? Um, damn it, not, not Dilios, the other one. Uh, Stelios. Stelios, uh, Stelios confronts the, the Persian emissary, cuts off his arm uh, with that, you know, that beautiful slow motion sequence. And the, the, the emissary says, uh, the thousand nations of the Persian Empire descend upon you. Our arrows shall blot out the sun. And what does Stelios say? He just grins and says, then we shall fight in the shade. This is actually supposedly something that the, per the, the Spartans said at the time. Uh, one of, one of Leonidas's warriors supposedly said, some, when, when told about how by, by one of the other Greek allies that, uh, oh my god, the, that the Persian arrows are going to blot out the sun. He said, so much the better, for we shall fight in the shade. Uh, again, you know, perfect comeback, perfect rhetoric, and it really bolstered the image of the Spartans as these invincible, brutal warriors. The, the, the classic example of great spoken rhetoric is when the Persians come to meet the, the, the Spartans in, in phalanx formation. And that Persian commander yells out, Spartans, 
lay down your weapons. And then somebody chucks a spear at him, kills him dead. And Leonidas yells back, Persians, come and get them. That is an immortal line that has gone down through the ages. I mean, we know of it as the one, it's a two-word phrase in Greek. Malon lave, come and take them. Uh, the, the full phrase is a bit more involved. Apparently, he, what he actually said was something along the lines of, come then, if you can, and take them. You know, not quite as effective. But again, the, the point here is, and I'm belaboring this a bit, I know, but the point is that good rhetoric should be short and to the point. I'll give you one last example, again, from the Spartans, and I'll move on. Uh, Philip II of Macedon and Alexander, his son, Alexander the Great, obviously created, at the time, the greatest world-spanning empire that anybody had ever seen. Uh, Philip II, in order to rally the Greek allies behind him, wanted to get the very powerful... Uh, Lacedaemonians, the Laconians behind him because they were an isolated power. They didn't trust outsiders. They didn't want to be part of anybody else's wars by that point. Um, Sparta had gotten its butt kicked in repeated engagements against the Thebans um, by that point. They were a very much a dwindling power and very much a weak power. So Philip II sent emissaries to Sparta saying something along the lines of, Effectively, if I enter uh, Laconia, I will raise your cities, burn them to the ground, uh, slaughter your men, and take your women and children as slaves. Something along those lines. Basically, uh, threatening Sparta with the full might and power of, of, of the entire Macedonian coalition. The Spartan reply was one word. If. That's it. Neither Philip II nor his son, Alexander the Great, yes, that Alexander the Great, the man who conquered uh, about a quarter of the, well, pretty much a quarter of the known world at the time, ever tried to enter Spartan territory. Ever. They didn't even bother. Why? Because of the effectiveness, I mean, backed up by, obviously, real bronze um, and real teeth, ever tried to enter Spartan lands because of the threat that Sparta posed, uh, you know, in defending their own territory. That is the power of effective rhetoric. So, first two rules clearly established. Number one, all good rhetoric must be couched in truth. Number two, all good rhetoric should be brief. Number three, all good rhetoric operates... Um, in a way that really uh, affects people the most. It, it, and, and what I mean by this is really good rhetoric, to be effective, must mock something or highlight something or point to something that other people don't necessarily want to have highlighted. They don't... They, it, 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 because rhetoric is an emotional device, it plays on people's emotions. Therefore, good rhetoric should frighten people or affect them or touch something sensitive in them. And our, our you know, our beloved and dreaded Supreme Dark Lord, Vox Day, peace be unto him, um, 
put up a post very recently. I mean, it was like it was this Monday, in fact, uh, called "When Rhetoric Works," and he 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 um, put in a, a scale of one to seven, outlining the different grades of rhetoric and why rhetoric is so effective. When is rhetoric effective? When the people on the receiving end don't want to be associated with whatever you said. Why is it that calling... uh, This is probably best illustrated through examples. It's very hard to explain, but through examples it would probably make sense. Why is it that calling someone a racist shuts him up so quickly? It doesn't work on people who actually are racist. It works only on people who aren't racist, who who are actually decent people. Those who aren't racist are the ones who are most terrified of being called racist. Those who aren't sexist are most terrified of of being called sexist. Those who aren't homophobic are those who are most terrified of being called homophobes. So you're playing on their fear, and you're playing on societal pressure, social pressure, and you're playing on social disapproval and disavowal. And you're playing on the fear, the fundamental fears of people. There are fundamental emotions that drive us all, right? Uh, Homer, I think, probably argue, I mean, not Homer, but people who have read Homer basically say that um, all of human literature can be reduced down to sex and death. And that's basically true, because if you look at the Iliad, what is the Iliad? It's sex and death, and that's it. I mean, it's, it's a brilliant set of stories, but it fundamentally comes down to sex and death. And that's every great story ever told in all of human history. Well, what drives, what, what, what primal emotions, fundamental emotions are attached to these two things? Fear, love, hate, anger, um, loyalty, uh, cowardice, you know, things like that. These are emotions that spin out of these primal themes. Play on those emotions through rhetoric. Here are a few very, very good examples of rhetoric that is truly effective. Number one, conservative. Why is it so effective? Why is it thermonuclear level effective against conservatives? Because it plays on the emotional realization that conservatives have, that they haven't really conserved a single damn thing. It works brilliantly on them it immediately puts them on the back foot. Again, I'm not a conservative. It doesn't work on me because I'm like, dude, I'm more right-wing than you on your worst day. You know, I'm, I'm like, most people who meet me don't realize how right-wing I am because I'm, I'm very careful to hide it. But calling me, you know, names like racist or homophobe or sexist or whatever, it's like, I just don't care. I'm like, it doesn't work on me because I embrace um the the positions that make me immune to that and for the same reason calling saying democrats are the real racists well number one that's stupid because we everybody knows that democrats themselves know that there's no point in worrying about democrats um thinking of themselves as racist they they always have excuses they can always duck out of it remember rhetoric only works when you try to pin people with something that they don't want to be pinned with or that they 
are not fundamentally like that. They don't, they, you, you try to pin somebody with a label that, that fundamentally he does not resemble or does not want. That's when it works. Social justice warrior. Why does that work? Because it mocks the overhyped self-image that SJWs have of themselves. It mocks them. It's a, it's a term of mockery. It's comedy. It cuts them down to size. They think of themselves as these virtuous, noble people doing virtuous, noble things. They're actually complete morons and hacks. SJW cuts them down to size immediately by attacking the, the, their self-image and by pinning them with something that they know they can never be. Um, what else? Hmm. Uh, Racist, obviously, is a, is a classic. Call somebody a racist. Oh, feminism is cancer. Feminism is cancer. Why is that so effective? I mean, Milo Yiannopoulos has used that, the, the nuclear option, uh, repeatedly. Uh, why is he so good at it? Why is he so good at throwing rhetorical atom bombs like that? Well, because he understands how to trigger people's weak points. And a lot of this, a lot of skill with rhetoric is indeed uh, instinctive. This is not something you can easily learn. A lot of it comes from just instinctive understanding of social hierarchies. Um, you can train yourself to be good at it, but it, it, it requires skill. <clears throat> Here's another great example of great rhetoric. They have to go back. Oh my god. Kablooey. Sink the damn ships. You know, rage fits. Um, uh, very fine people. That was a good one. Trump, the God Emperor, his most illustrious, noble, august, benevolent, and legendary celestial majesty, the God Emperor of mankind, Donaldus Triumphus Magnus Astra, the first of his name, may the, uh, the, the Lion of Midnight, the Chaddest of Chads, may the Lord bless him and preserve him. What did he say back in 2015? Uh, he basically said, uh, they're not sending their best people over here. They're sending murderers and rapists. And by the way, some of them are very fine people. Uh, you know, some of them are wonderful people. Uh, but on the whole, they're not sending their best people here. The media had a freaking field day conflating him with what he said. But what he said was incredibly effective. Murderers and rapists. That was brilliant rhetoric on his part. Uh, the Charlottesville incident. He condemned both sides equally. The media tried to pin him with very fine people, the very fine people slur. It was nonsense, and anyone who's watched that clip can tell you it's nonsense. But the media are past masters of taking clips out of context and putting rhetorical spin on them. So, remember those three rules. Number one, uh, good rhetoric is couched in truth, always. Number two, good rhetoric is brief, always. Number three, good rhetoric either tries to pin somebody with what he is not or tries to attack somebody and cut him down from what he is, based on what he is. Why is feminism is cancer such effective rhetoric? You know, because it takes something that, uh, that, that women feminists want to have taken seriously and turns it into a life-threatening disease, which is what it actually is. 
And there's a, a great clip of Milo Yiannopoulos at a, at a college and some woman, a very young girl actually, comes up to him and says, uh, well, I'm a feminist and I'm a cancer survivor. And how can you possibly say that cancer, feminism is cancer? And how does Milo deflect it by using humor? He always does this. He always says, well, you know what? I, the, the, my attitude is if you can take a dick, you can take a joke. That's what he says to this young woman. And obviously she completely melted down at that. She was like, I can't believe you just said that and so on and so forth. Um, good Christian rhetoric. What's, what's good Christian rhetoric? Well, Frank Turek is very good at Dr. Frank Turek from Cross-Examine. Go watch his videos on YouTube. He's very good at, uh, at rhetorical arguments against atheists. And one of the arguments that he makes is, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And almost every atheist says, no, I would refuse. Wait a second. You're the atheist. You're the one who stands for science and reason and truth. And you're the one who keeps going out trying to find science and reason and truth. But I just asked you, if Christianity were true, which is a logical proposition, it's a logical syllogism he's trying to construct, would you accept it? Would you become a Christian? And they say no. See, that's the thing. That is why that argument is so effective rhetorically. Because atheists are driven by emotion. And the moment you start attacking them as emotionally driven, you beat them at their own game. They hate God. It's that simple. God doesn't hate them. They hate God. They pretend they don't hate God, but they hate God. It's really just that simple. And you can attack them along those lines. And it's very effective to do so. It's very effective to attack them like that. Um, the... The major, I think, point about written versus verbal rhetoric is that written rhetoric um, is different in style and substance from verbal rhetoric. Verbal rhetoric needs to be fast. You need, you need to be on your feet. You need to be snapping, really snapping back. You need to be able to, to think on your feet and, and, and give repartees very quickly. Want a great example? I mean, if you want to study great examples of great rhetoricians, Donald Trump, the God Emperor, debate stage in 2016, standing up there with crooked Hillary Clinton. I mean, look at how he comes up with, 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 uh, great names for these people. Crooked Hillary Clinton, Lion Ted Cruz, Little Marco Rubio. He immediately cuts people down just by instinctively seeing where they are weakest and attacking them rhetorically by pointing out what they don't want others to see. Hillary Clinton tries to project this image of being trustworthy and, and decent and kind. She is, it's, it's blindingly obvious to anybody with eyes to see that this woman is crooked as Satan himself. But Trump is able to point that out and pin her with that label. And forever afterwards, she's going to be known as Crooked Hillary Clinton. Lion Ted Cruz. And now Ted Cruz has done some, th some things to redeem himself since. But, you know, at the time when he was facing off with Trump on the debate stage, he was a consummate debater, but he was a dialectician and still is a dialectician. He is not a rhetorician. Trump is a rhetorician. And he pinned Lion Ted Cruz onto Senator Cruz, and it stuck. And uh, Senator Cruz has had a hard time shaking it ever since. Little Marco Rubio. That is a very effective use of rhetoric. So 
here's the fourth uh, or the fifth bit of advice actually the fifth bit of advice here is understand the hierarchy that in, in which you're operating because different kinds of rhetoric work on different kinds of people on alphas the best rhetoric to use involves women if you understand the difference between how an alpha thinks versus how a gamma thinks an alpha is permanently insecure in terms of the power and influence and prestige of his position. He's interested in power. An alpha is primarily interested in preserving his power. And what is the fastest way to attack an alpha? You make him jealous or you use jealousy to attack him. Just look at uh, Shakespeare's play Othello. That's exactly what happens, right? How does Othello work? Othello, uh, Iago basically makes Othello jealous of his wife and you know, so on and so forth. That's how it turns out. Betas make their loyalty to the alpha questionable. Attack their loyalty through rhetoric. That's how you defeat a bravo, not, not, not a beta, a bravo using rhetoric. That's how you counter a bravo's attempts to uh, demote you in, in the eyes of his alpha. Attack his loyalty to the alpha. Deltas attack their competence. Find a way to attack their competence. Uh, I want to point out, by the way, in all of these things, alphas, bravos, and deltas, as a general rule, are not people you need to be attacking with rhetoric. You don't need to attack them. These are not bad people. These are not, usually, these are not the people you want to be undermining. The people who are most susceptible to rhetoric are gammas, every single time. Gammas have a massively overinflated view of themselves, but they are actually emotionally incredibly fragile. The moment you pin them down with a rhetorical attack is the moment you have destroyed their sense of self-worth and uh, um, you, you pop their delusion bubble, effectively. So attack them rhetorically by attacking their uh, status and attacking their self-image. That's exactly why SJW works so well against them. That's exactly why um, you can trigger them with things like what Gina Carano did, beep, bop, boop, when she changed her gender pronoun or whatever nonsense that was. Here's a great example of rhetoric. I mean, if some gamma SJW comes up to you and says, oh, sir, you need to start using your personal pronouns in your email profile. Okay, I'm going to put my personal pronoun as his majesty. Good luck with that. Or your majesty. There you go. Or, you know, dragon lord. Um, if people start saying, uh, his majesty said... Well, there you go. That's that's what I'm going to do. Um, and it'll trigger the shit out of them. I mean, they'll go thermonuclear over this. It'll be so much fun to watch because that's effective rhetoric. It's an effective counter. It effectively challenges their position in the hierarchy. And remember, gammas believe that they should be at the top of the hierarchy when in fact they're at the bottom of the hierarchy. And they are at the bottom of the hierarchy because they are weak, they are cowardly, they are uh, uh, manipulative, and they are terrified of confrontation. So the moment you confront them rhetorically, you have already destroyed much of their delusion bubble. Omegas and sigmas um, are probably not very effective because sigmas are, you know, they, they deliberately stay away from, from the hierarchy in, in all aspects. Uh, they, they get to the top of the hierarchy you know, almost without trying, but 
remember that sigmas like gammas are massively, massively disruptive to the hierarchy. So you want to keep them away. Sigmas are great when you leave them alone to work on their own projects. Generally, just leave them the hell alone. Let them do their jobs. Uh, let them carry on doing what they're doing. It's the gammas you need to worry about. So in all of this, if you take anything away from the, the, the SSH part of this, 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 this domain query, understand that you want to reserve most of your rhetoric for gammas. And if you're on the receiving end of rhetorical attacks, remember, dialectic does not work against rhetoric speakers. It doesn't work. It's not effective. You cannot go back against a rhetoric speaker who's cut you down to size using rhetoric and then come back at him armed with, you know, a battery of facts and, and, and figures. And you can't do that. You're going to look really stupid. So you have to go back to him on a, in a, in a rhetorical manner. Um, how would you do that? Well, you know, there's a, there's an article on Return of Kings, um, several years ago by, um, A.V. Yader, I think it was. It was all about the CEO of bodybuilding.com and how he got cucked by Dan Bilzerian, the king of Instagram. Now, there's, there's the, the guy who headed up bodybuilding.com was not, you know, he was, he was basically, um, a delta on the SSH and, and definitely a beta on the uh, sexual hierarchy. So, you know, the old alpha, beta, omega scale, uh, that pickup artists like to use. So he was definitely a beta. He was not, he was in no way an alpha, but he had a good life as a beta. I mean, he married a very hot woman, divorced her. Um, and then took up with a much younger girlfriend. Well, Dan Bilzerian posted a picture of this same mistress of girlfriend of this, of the CEO on his Instagram feed and said, uh, you know, he tagged the, the CEO and said, dude, I effed your girlfriend, um, in my, my bodybuilding slippers or something. Um, and she's laid out on his bed with this gigantic sniper rifle that's like longer than she is, basically. And the, the CEO responded with something along the lines of, oh, you can do whatever you like. I'm above that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm better than that. He looks so weak and spineless. The best way to respond to something like that was something that I think um, Aviator pointed out in the comments of that article. The best way to respond would have been something like, oh, yeah, uh, uh, well done. I, I hope you didn't find our asshole too loose or something like that. You know, something really profane and disgusting. Um, which would have implied very clearly that, hey, I staked my ownership on this woman before you ever got there. I'm not saying that's a good way. I mean, it's, it's not a nice thing to do. It's not nice. It's not kind. It's not politically correct. It's not, it's not charming in any way. It's actually kind of a disgusting dick move. But that would have been an effective rhetorical response. So if you're on the receiving end of rhetoric, don't respond with dialectic. Don't do it. You'll lose. Always respond with rhetoric. And always remember the rules that I've taught you here. Number one, all good rhetoric couched in truth. Number two, all good rhetoric is brief. Number three, all good rhetoric either attacks something that a person is or something that a person doesn't want to be identified with. Number four, all good rhetoric uh, sticks to the SSH. For, for men, obviously, all good rhetoric... Uh, is relevant to somebody's place in a hierarchy. Um, I'm sure there was another one in there, which I've probably forgotten. Um, There's a few minutes ago in this podcast. But anyway, um, hopefully that answers Randall's questions. Uh, that's not his real name. I have no idea what his real name is, but uh, Randall E6, um, uh, whoever you are, I, I hope this has been helpful. Um, 
As for the rest of you, by all means, remember, like, comment, share, and subscribe. Make sure you hit the uh, share button and the subscribe link in the description box uh, to sign up for my email list. This has been Domain Query Rhetorical Kill Shots, and I am your host, Didact, signing off.